Academy Sports and Outdoors wants everyone to stay safe while doing more of what they love. So whether you're planning a fishing trip, heading to the driving range, prepping for your upcoming hunt, or firing up the grill before the big game, we have all the gear you need to enjoy more sports and outdoors. All at the prices that you're going to love. And with the curbside pickup available, it's never been easier to shop all our brands in-store and online at academy.com. Because whatever you love doing, Academy Sports and Outdoors is there to help you have more fun out there. Not as excited to talk about the numbers on this game, but I think you'll be more impressed when you hear the numbers and how Georgia hung with Alabama, made the game a little bit more competitive than it may have looked like when the clocks got down to 0-0-0. My name is Tug Cowart. This is Georgia Bulldogs by the numbers with Brent Rollins from UGASports.com and Pro Football Focus College. My takeaway is that I don't know what to think of Stetson Bennett. I think that's where a lot of Georgia fans fall. The game actually was more competitive if you look at the numbers, Brent, than if you look at the final score. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was you were a penalty away from it being a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. But I think the biggest thing to remember with Stetson Bennett is while he's been at Georgia and then you know been to junior college and now back at Georgia, I think four-year span that you're looking at, he's not played. He's still an inexperienced quarterback who just made his first start on the road against the number two team in the country. And what you're seeing with him, especially what you're, you saw a little bit in the Tennessee game and at certain points against Auburn, but specifically this past Saturday, was you just saw inexperience. If, he, if you're going to continue to ride with him, you hope that that just gets better and better week after week. So is that the thing, though? Do you expect that they're going to stick with Stetson Bennett? I mean, they're off this weekend. Next weekend, they get Kentucky. I expect Stetson will be the quarterback. I think right now he is, and I think he will be. The team has now sort of bought in. It's more of an external thing. We're not at practice every day. We don't see those things. But based upon some of the things you see after games and even on on social media and whatever, you, you have a team that believes in him as their quarterback. One game on the road in your first road start against Alabama, I don't, I don't think you're going to – I think it's more of a learning experience that you take away and you look at for improvement, knowing that you might have the chance down the road to see them again. But I don't think it's something where you're going to see a wholesale change to position. Now, if you come off of two weeks of practice and you're playing Kentucky, who's been playing lights out well. defense for, for a few, few, few weeks and should really be 4-0, if you see struggle there – then I think you might see, you know, you might see a change. But until you're getting to that nitty-gritty moment, struggling, maybe need a spark, he's going to be your quarterback in two weeks, and I think he's going to be the quarterback moving forward. You had Stetson throwing to five or six different guys, one of them being George Pickens, but if he's your best player on the field, why is George Pickens not getting the ball? When you look at the game in general, and the Georgia offense specifically, especially compared to Alabama, Alabama has two definitive first-round type receivers in Jalen Wall and Devontae Smith. Those two players were targeted 21 times, caught 17 of those for 329 yards and three touchdowns. When you look at Georgia's offense, just the eye test tells you, and you know that Pickens was the highest, our highest-graded returning SEC receiver and one of the highest in the nation. And then you also have someone like James Cook, who is dynamic out of the backfield, and we saw that this past weekend. You look at those two players specifically, and those are difference maker. Hey, this guy's just athletically better than the other other guys we're playing against type players. They have 11 targets. They caught nine of those for 154 yards and a touchdown. And then also you have sort of who's the ancillary work. Now, Kyrus Jackson has been the beneficiary of all yeah. the attention that Pickens has got. He's going into the game as one of the highest graded receivers 
uh, in the country. But him, when you look at him and then also Jermaine Burton, they got 19 targets in that game. And now whether that's a design thing, whether that's a based upon what the defense is doing, Stetson is looking that way type thing, you don't know. Everybody knows you're throwing to Jalen Watt on Devontae Smith, yet Alabama still schemes ways to get them targets upon targets. Throughout the entire season, those two players have been targeted on 66% of Alabama's throws. I think what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks is Georgia go back and do as much self-scouting as they do opponent scouting and really find ways to highlight Pickens, highlight Cook, and highlight Kyrus Jackson and make them the focal point of the offense moving forward. There was a number of drops I think we only had two recorded drops, both of which were to Burton. Yeah. And he's put into a tough situation as a true freshman and, and being, especially in that game, in that environment, and being the most targeted receiver. But still yet, there's certain things that you got to do as a receiver to come down with, with a football. It's kind of one of those things where it's your job. No matter who you are, no matter what your age or you know experience level is, that's what you got to do. Then Stetson with the overthrows. Yeah, there was. I think when you look at his game in general, when you look at really the difference – between the two teams, it's accuracy. And it was accuracy at the quarterback position. Mac Jones is not going to wow people with individual athleticism. He's not Mahomes, Lamar. He's not even Aaron Rodgers in terms of just ability to move around. But he is a great pocket passer and extremely accurate. We also at PFF track ball placement data. Like, where is the ball on the receiver? He was second in the SEC behind Jones, now by a big margin, but second in terms of just accurate ball placement. That number went drastically down this past weekend. And then now when you look at his overall what's called adjusted completion percentage, which factors in things like throwaways or the batted passes that we saw or drops, his adjusted completion percentage is now 13th out of 14 SEC QBs. So if Stetson is going to be your guy – his whole game is now needs to be accuracy and decision-making, much like Mac Jones is providing accuracy and decision-making for Alabama's offense. I don't know how you overcome the batted down passes because you brought that up and, and there was at least four, maybe five of those, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's a multitude of factors. One, there's some sort of scheme elements there where you're looking middle of the field. That's also a coaching element from the defensive side of them because Alabama, by the way, has, it had one of its – weakest pass rushers that it's had in a long time. And they obviously worked on getting into throwing lanes because they didn't think they'd be able to get much pressure on the quarterback, and they didn't get much pressure. I think what's going you're going to see moving forward and what I hope you see moving forward with Stetson is more play action. It's something that Alabama does better than anyone in terms of running play action. Mac Jones runs play action on anywhere from 45 to 50% of his throws, depending on the game, but it's still heavy in terms of those numbers. So I think you see more play action. I think you see more RPO type on the edge. And then I also think you see what you saw the very first play of the game, which was him getting out bootleg type action, dumping it off to McKitty. And I think you see more and more of that action moving forward just to get him his comfort level up and just to get sort of confidence as much as anything. Do you think it was because we had not played the caliber of team like Alabama is the reason Stetson's quarterback numbers were number two behind Mac Jones? Uh, no, I don't I don't think that's so much. I think he, he's played well, and he's played really well, and it's specifically in certain situations like third down and even off play action. But I, it's one of those things where no matter who you go up against, you're, you're a function of the, the system that you're playing in, but then also – 
your own preferences, confidence, throws that you make. You even you look at his game in general, and what you see, I think, with Stetson is you see a certain comfort level with him in and confidence in looking down the middle of the field, driving the throws in the middle field. He's more touch pass on the outside than he is always looking to the outside. So some of those, the batted pass issue, and some of the the other just issues in general, it's him learning, him gaining more and more game experience because what you can't, while he's been at Georgia a long time, we mentioned this earlier, while he's been at Georgia a long time, the game experience is very minimal. This was his first ever road start. And I think you're only going to see it improve. So let's talk about third downs because in the first half, Georgia was pretty good on third down. The uh, the second half, not quite as good. When you look at third down, it's, it's just one of those things where if you're really good on third down, it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. That means you get there because a lot. You, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you don't want to be on third down. And, and you look at Alabama, and you look at Alabama, and you look at this game. I think Stetson was eight of thirteen for something around eighty-five yards on third down. Now he did have two of his interceptions on on third down. Yeah, but he still was very efficient on third down. Mac Jones was only three of five for twenty-seven yards on third down, and yet they scored forty-one points. Yeah, that just means they didn't get to third down quite as often. Exactly, and that's. Really, when you look at this game above anything else with this game, this is now two games that Georgia's number one vaunted against every other team defense has played a number one NFL caliber offense. And they have now in those two games this past weekend and then LSU in the SEC championship game, given up 1,045 yards and 88 points. Offense matters more. It just does. It's today's football world. The old adage of defense wins championships, especially at the highest level, both the highest level of college and then also the NFL. Offense just matters more. I said that to a friend of mine who is a, a big Georgia fan, just like me, just like you, just like all of us. He uh, he was saying, you know, Georgia's defense, Georgia's defense, I think we're going to be able to hold Alabama. And you are to a degree, but at the end of the day, I told him I expected Alabama to get the win. I didn't think it would be as wide of a margin as it was, but that was due to the interceptions for sure. But I told him I felt like that it was going to be Alabama because they have the stronger offense. And you're right, offense is what matters. It is, and just... When you look at value, and we've done so much work at, at PFF to use all the NFL data, and even now, the I think this is our eighth year, seventh or eighth year of college-level data, we've used all that to do as much, one, looking at how things went, but also be predictive and try to be determine what are the key components to, that lead to victory. And everything, like we have a wins above replacement uh, number or wins above average in, in, in college, everything points to the passing game. And for those who maybe push back and say, well, look at look at the, the box score stats, Alabama was balanced. They ran it more than they threw it. No, they didn't until they had a 10-point lead. At the point in the game where they got up 34 to 24 after the Stokes pass interference call. Which is one of the game-changing <laughs> moments, and we'll get to that. You have game-changing moments that we'll get to in just a little bit, but finish your thought. So at that point, so it's Alabama 34-24. Alabama had called 37 pass plays, called 21 running plays. They know what the formula is for success, and it's being efficient, accurate, and explosive in the passing game. Running the ball, Georgia did look really good. The offensive line looked incredible as well, man, giving them the opportunity to run the ball. Guys like Ben Cleveland, Trey Hill. Yeah, McClendon was in there. played well. McClendon, yeah, absolutely. All, they all had huge nights. They played well, and they and they did run the ball effectively. You had uh, Kenny McIntosh and his couple carries. You had Kendall Milton. You had Zamir White, all right at or over six yards per carry. They forced missed tackles in the run game, and it's one of those things where you have to balance the use of the running game to sort of stay in the game longer versus use of the running game to complement your passing game. That's one of the things that. 
from an identity standpoint, that's just hard to, to get past it because the old school SEC and just old school football is the identity is I'm going to run the football and go play a physical defense, field position, things like that. And it just doesn't work against these elite type offenses and the, and the otherworldly offense that Alabama is playing right now. You're listening to Georgia Bulldogs by the numbers. My name is Tug Coward, along with Brent Rollins from Pro Football Focus College and UGASports.com. So let's get down to plays that changed the entire outcome of the Georgia-Alabama game. Which one do you want to start with? The first interception of the game. When you look at it, at UGASports.com, we we do a piece every week, myself and Dane Young, called Film Don't Lie, and we break down the game with the video, add some of the data, things like that. But one of the things that you look at in that specific play was the exact play, by the way, in almost the exact situation was run last week against Tennessee. That play was a big one because it led to one of the, I think the first or second touchdown of the game where they find Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield. He beats the linebacker, takes it down to the one yard line, almost scores himself. Tennessee played bracket sort of double coverage on uh, George Pickens on the play. On Stetson's first interception of the game, the batter pass that ended up in the lap of the defensive end, it's the exact same play. It's slightly different formation and one or two personnel changes, but the concept is the exact same against the exact same coverage concept from Alabama. It was even the exact same situation on the field week to week, Tennessee and then Alabama. It was second and 10 on the 30-yard line, exactly the same. Jeez. And Alabama played it differently. Alabama initially looked to Pickens as sort of bracket him like Tennessee did and then came down on McIntosh. The other backer initially went out, took two steps to, to the flare route with the tight end and then came right back into the fold with, with McIntosh. If that ball isn't batted, it might even be intercepted when, when it's thrown. And it's one of those things where when you look at it, com- sort of combines with a couple other, the other two, pl- the other key plays, but when you combine all those together, it's a scoring opportunity that you missed, yeah. and you missed it early. You have to, with as efficient as Alabama is playing offense, you have to take advantage of every scoring opportunity. Yeah, I think the third one we'll go over is the one that'll make everybody the maddest because it was the one that was talked about the most, but let's get to the second one. That's the Harris run. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. And this is right before the half. Georgia's just scored to go up seven. All the momentum is on their side. They kick the ball out of the end zone. They set them up at the 25-yard line. And the first play that Alabama runs is a almost let's go into the locker room play until Georgia has its worst run fit of the season. Quay Walker took two false steps on the play. You know, and then Aziz Ojolari gets pushed outside. I think he sort of almost thought it was going to be a pass, so he's rushing upfield like it's going to be a pass. Gets 
thrown to the side by Alex Leatherwood. Harris gets 15 plus yards and now Alabama's in score mode. So instead of fitting the run like you normally do and you did for the most part the rest of the game, you now have Alabama on the aggressive side and they go get points. And those three points matter. When you when you add it all up, that's three points, at least at minimum three points you missed in the first drive. And then now three points you're basically giving to them because you didn't you got a little lax mentally in, in the running game. The third play that I think is the one that will set everybody off and get everybody to talking because they're probably have already discussed it at length with everybody that they talk to anyway, is on the interception, it's tip ball with a run back for 42 yards, about a minute left in the third quarter, there's a uh, pass interference call on Eric Stokes. It's bogus. You heard the CBS crew talking about it. Gary Danielson, who I know Georgia fans don't typically like a lot, but he was in defensive Georgia <laughs> saying, I don't see it. He got the rules expert, the ref that they have. He says the exact same thing, but it gives Bama a touchdown on the next play. Would have been fourth down. Bama got seven instead of three points, puts Bama up by 10. They scored 14 points in about three minutes. I've always been one to never really care much about the referee side of the game and the penalty part of the game. More often than not, penalties are self-inflicted. But one of the things that Georgia does, and really all college defensive backs do because the rules allow it, is they're, they're very handsy. And the thing that really bothered me about that call specifically as opposed to any other call is that you didn't call it against Sertan on Pickens earlier in the game. I think Georgia possibly eventually scored, that may, or that may have been the drive in an interception. I can't remember exactly, but uh, Stetson looked down the right sideline. Pickens on a go route. Him and Sertan are in hand fighting sort of together. And Pickens looks at the ref like, hey, why, why can't, why is this not a flag here? The exact same coverage. And when you see the exact same level of coverage and you see a sort of by the text, almost textbook based upon the college rules, and, and then they get that opportunity. And the key is, one leads to a touchdown and one the other, you know, would have just changed the drive a little bit. But when you're basically giving it happens in the end zone, you give them that touchdown, you give them four more points, it changes the entire complexity of the game. You go from instead of being down six, feeling very confident, you go in almost going in the fourth quarter and it's a one score game. You're now down ten. And then that subsequent drive sets and presses a little bit and throws another interception on the first play of the fourth quarter. So it effectively ended the game in a way uh, by sort of changing the way that Georgia played a little bit after that. And you saw it blow up on social media. That's how I knew everybody was going to be talking about this play in particular. Social media was blowing up with Bama's paying the refs and refs in (laughs) Bama jerseys. Just, I mean, you know, it was all the usual. And I usually don't subscribe to any of that either. I do find it hard to look over when something changes the dynamic of the game, when when a referee injects himself or doesn't and it changes the dynamic of the game you can think of one time that they didn't back in what was it uh, 2018 nfc championship game saints there's one there was an egregious call oh. that they that they didn't yes. call saints rams yeah exactly they didn't call that one not that this one was that egregious but when a ref calling or not calling something changes the dynamic of the game you can't look over it it's very hard to and it's and it's tough and but it's one of those things where you hope that eventually it all evens out but right there, it kind of didn't because you didn't get the call on your end. Yeah, it makes it tough. After that, that was the first rushing touchdown Georgia's defense given up since the 2018 SEC championship game. No, to a running back. To a running back, a running specifically, back. yes. Yeah, yeah you're exactly yeah. right. There was a graphic that CBS threw up, and it said Georgia versus Bama in the last three meetings. In the first half, Georgia has scored 58 to Alabama 17. 
And, and then Bama scoring 34 in the first half, 68 in the second half. So Bama always seems to bounce back, and Georgia loses steam from first half to second half. They got to get that figured out. Very much so. And I think there was one point in the game where, in my own notes, I almost I wrote game over question mark. And you might think I was crazy to write that because of how early I wrote this. But this was the first drive of the second half. Georgia gets the ball up four. By the way, had great field position to start. Almost mm-hmm. anytime they returned a kick, they had great field position to start. And they get to Alabama's 45, 44-ish yard line. They go hurry up on fourth down and force Alabama into calling a timeout and then punt. And in my notes, I wrote game over question mark. And it's one of the things that when you look at totality of these plays, of the, of the four plays that we talked about, all four of these plays, Stetson's first interception, the Harris run, the P.I. call, and then not going for it on fourth down. By the way, Alabama got to where they where they would have gotten on the field in four plays. So it, it was negligible in terms of what actually happened. But every chance you have to score against an elite offense, you have to take advantage of it. When you look at the, the overall game, Alabama had 12 total drives that were sort of meaningful. The last drive, they had 13 drives. The last one, they just run the clock out, running the ball. But they had – Nine scoring opportunities. And when I say scoring opportunities, that means they were in Georgia territory. They scored seven times. That's 3.4 points per drive, either touchdown or field goal. They scored seven of of those nine scoring opportunities. Georgia had eight scoring opportunities. They only scored four times. That's Two points per drive. When you get into Alabama territory, it should be, I am here to score no matter what. You had a field goal that was missed. You had the interception early. You had the fourth and five on the first drive that you didn't punt or that you, know, that you, you punted punt. and thus yeah. didn't you – know, you did punt. You did. You went for it. And then you had Stetson's second interception off of Burton's hand, the one that went off of yeah, Burton's hand. it was Tim Malachi Moore intercepted. Exactly. That, so when you get opportunities to score – against an elite offense, you have to score. Yeah. And I think if you if we look down the road and see this game again in December, mid December, that's the telling point that anytime Georgia gets a chance to score, no matter touchdown, field goal, something, get points. Keep getting points. Yeah. Because you're gonna need them against their elite offense. Second half, uh eighth series, the series you're just talking about, the that was that was the punt. Ninth series, punt, tenth series, interception, eleventh series, interception. 12th series, missed field goal. After that, you had about six and a half minutes left in the game. Alabama was able to control it, ran out the clock, and game over. They didn't even score in the second half. The thing that I see is, and I don't know if this gets brought up enough either, is Georgia's wide receivers, I feel like that that is a almost low-key Achilles heel, if you will. The guys are out there making plays. You see Kiaris Jackson catching the ball a lot. Pickens is not catching it enough, but he's a a talent that can play on Sunday, so you know he has the ability. But I feel like Georgia is at a disadvantage when they're playing teams like Alabama and, you know, like a Clemson in the wide receiver department. I wouldn't say – I mean, it's hard to say because I think individually the the talent uh, is there. I think a lot of it is just – and this is kind of my own philosophy on offense as much as just the data tells you that, but it's the culture of offense. What Dabo Swinney learned early is I'm not going to be able to recruit the offensive and defensive linemen that the SEC has on a consistent basis. But what I can do is go get a great quarterback and surround them with elite receivers. That started Clemson into what they are now and becoming Clemson is all the wide receiver talent and quarterback talent that they started to get. Nick Saban then followed suit. 
he realized that there's so much that you can do as an offense now, especially in the RPO game, especially with what play action creates and the space that, that is available now to teams because of the increased level of quarterback play. Those two have just evolved and really put offense as the priority. And once you put offense as the priority and make that the, the culture of how you think, I think then you'll see more of that. Do you think you Kirby, won't see the disadvantage that you're talking about? Do you think Kirby Smart has yet to do that? Because I do. I think he's going that direction. He's getting there. But I think slowly. the hiring of the hiring of Todd Munkin. He just went out and had a big time class of, of receiver recruits and starting to just realize that we have to have the elite playmakers on the outside to win at the highest level. And I think it's just it's it's a process, and he's getting there. What about with the quarterbacks? Do you feel like he's mismanaged any of that from Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, to now where we are? Do you feel like he's done a good job with quarterbacks? Because I hear people barking about that a lot, and I do question it too. It was clear Justin Fields was the better athlete, better quarterback, not for the system at the moment. Jake Fromm probably was for that system. But I felt like that Kirby should have been able to pivot. And if there's an opportunity to get Justin Fields in a game or in a situation, they couldn't do that correctly. I don't know if mismanagement is the word as much as it's such a difficult question just because I don't know if that's the right word. Okay. Because when you think about what what happened, you're you're trying to recruit the best players possible every year. And he did that in three consecutive years. You got three five-star quarterbacks in East and Fromm and then Fields. And you go into the national championship game and you're legit one play away from being the national champion. So coming into the next season with Fields there, I I would say the biggest thing that I've seen over the time frame of all of that is, and from the management standpoint, is when you bring any of those guys into the game and even, and specifically Fields, because once he left, now it's Rom's team, totally different situation. But with him specifically, versus what you see with, what, for example, with what Clemson did to Georgia Tech this past weekend. When different guys come in, they're running their offense. They're attacking all the time on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Alabama even does it when they play their second guy. I think that was probably the thing with Fields specifically that where you could have been, where you could have done differently is let him go play, go attack. And that just wasn't what they did at that time. But the decision itself, it was such a difficult decision because of what you were coming off of. No, I get it. But because of, and it's so hard, but. Well, think about what Clemson. hindsight's 2020 with that one. <laughs> think about Clemson, though, what they did with Kelly Bryant. They decided, look, Kelly's not our guy. Our guy is Trevor Lawrence. And they made the change middle of the season. I do think that situation's different. I do. Reasons. No, I do. I think it's different as well. I'm not trying to say it's apples to apples. But I do see a coach that says, you know what, we're going to make this change. I know it sounds crazy that we would change quarterbacks right now, but we're going to, and it paid off. But finish, yeah, give me yes. give me your thought. That the previous year, Clemson got through their schedule, made it to the playoffs, and got destroyed. I think they got shut out in the playoff against Alabama that year. So that you're coming back to this season where you didn't play as well, but you've gotten to the playoff because you're playing, you know, you're going through your schedule, and your schedule is not very difficult. And the ACC was obviously much even more down then than it is than now. So I think he knew and Dabba knew to compete at the highest level after watching that same quarterback get shut out in the playoff 
he knew he had to make that change versus the Georgia situation where you have you're one play away from winning the national mm-hmm. championship game. So that's the biggest thing. And also, when you think about it, you have defensive minded head coach who probably believes in his defense more than we believe in about anything else and ability to coach defense and, and do those things. So it's just hard. But what you have clearly seen now is Clemson, Alabama, LSU is doing it now. They're not doing, obviously, at the level they did a year ago, but they're still, from a philosophical standpoint, they are doing it this year, is the passing game is the premium. The running game is an offset of the passing game, and that's how we're going to play. We're going to attack, attack down the field constantly, use play action, take shots on early downs. That's what you see from those three teams and Oklahoma even included in that uh, from an offensive standpoint. But that's what you see from those teams that you aren't seeing right now from Jordan. All right, that is Georgia Bulldogs by the numbers. Tug Coward along with Brent Rollins. I want to encourage you to go to ugasports.com and profootballfocus.com, pff.com. Make sure you subscribe for PFF. For the first time this year, you can buy access to college grades. $30 a year and premium starts at $120. And at ugasports.com, which I'm a member too, it's $99 a year. $99.95. Insider information on the team recruiting and everything that is Georgia Bulldogs and the things that we focus on here on Georgia Bulldogs by the numbers. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. 